0: But I'm glad that you are with us. In just a second, I am going to uh, start with a with an icebreaker. I uh I, I do that most of my classes. I start with some kind of an icebreaker. And if you read my announcement about what the class was going to be uh, focused on tonight, you know exactly where we're going to be spending our time. So, um, so seven o'clock yet it is seven o'clock. So for all of you people who showed up on time, let's go ahead and start the icebreaker. Here's my, uh, it's a Bible um, trivia contest tonight. And I'm going to ask you some questions and I'm going to tell you up front, there's like a 30 or 40 second lag. So I'm not going to wait till I see the answers or till Martha tells me who got it right because I don't want to wait two minutes between every question. Some of these are going to be really easy. Some of these are going to be very subjective, but at least he'll get us thinking in the right direction tonight. And it is... Um, some bible characters and i'm going to start with some really easy ones that we're all going to agree on pretty quickly who was the wisest man that ever lived martha solomon solomon see martha knew that one solomon i'll remind you that remember solomon was the one who god said ask for what you want and i'll give it to you and he said um i'll pray for wisdom and we say wow what a great answer solomon But if you remember, which you might not remember, at least eight times, David tells his son Solomon, pray for wisdom in leading the people of Israel. So when Solomon asked for wisdom, I think that was really David talking. So, okay, Um, oldest person that ever lived. Most of you know, most of your kids will know, Methuselah. Extra points if you know how old Methuselah was when he died. Tell your husband, you'll make you sound smart. 969 years old. Extra, extra points. If you can explain how it was that the oldest man that ever lived died before his father died. Anyone? Anyone? His father was Enoch. His father never died. Uh, He walked with God. God took him, and he was no more. Um, Richest man who ever lived. Solomon. Again, I'm pretty sure it's Solomon. Probably. If, if talk about like um, uh, wealth as far as, um, you know, for the time. And again, I think that goes back to David more than Solomon. Solomon is kind of built on, on David's platform. Strongest man that ever lived? Samson. Not to be confused with the wisest. He was not the wisest at all. Probably the strongest. Now let me ask you a few that are very subjective, but it ought to get you thinking a little bit. For instance, Fattest man in the Bible. Have any guesses? This is going to be tougher because the Bible doesn't really say too much about physical attributes. But I'm going to go with Eglon. Remember King Eglon, uh, the Moabites? He had a bed that was reinforced with iron beams. It was the judge Ehud that stabbed him. And when he drove the, 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 the uh, knife into his side, the Bible says that the folds of his fat covered the handle of the knife. So yeah, he. I'm going with Eglon as the fattest man in the Bible. Greatest hunter in the Bible. Again, this is a little bit subjective, but I'm going to go back to uh, Genesis chapter 10 and go with, anyone have a guess? I'm going with Nimrod. Nimrod actually is synonymous now with um, bow and arrow, you know, the great hunters great archers are called Nimrods from Nimrod in the Bible. Um, the fastest man in the Bible. Now think about this a little bit. What Who do you say? I say the Apostle John. Martha says the Apostle John. I would he not say the Apostle Peter. John. Yeah, and Peter. No, he did not outrun Peter. He oh, did. John. I th- yeah, he did outrun Peter. So he's okay. John was faster than Peter, but he was not as fast as a sail the brother of Joab, the brother of Abishai, the son of Zariah, the nephew of David, a shale was said to be as light as foot as a wild roe. Anybody know what a wild roe is? R-O-E? It's kind of like a deer. In fact, a male roe is called a roe buck. So you're learning things tonight already. Okay, Uh, you, you, you might think Elijah Probably get points for Elijah. He outran a chariot down a hill. So I, yeah, I'd go Matt with Elijah, Elijah too. Elijah. Okay, Matt said Elijah. Yeah, I'd go with Elijah too. I think maybe that was a one-time thing though. I don't know if Elijah was always that fast. I don't know. Um, most cruel man in the Bible. The first name that came to mind for me was Ahab. Um, if it was most cruel couple, I was asking, it definitely be Ahab and Jezebel. But the more I thought about it, I think it's Manasseh. I would say Manasseh is the most cruel man in the Bible. Uh, Scripture says that uh, he shed blood from one end of Judah to the other. Interesting tidbit about Manasseh. He was the son of Hezekiah. Remember, Hezekiah was the guy who prayed to God on his deathbed. God said, you're about to die. Get your affairs in order. Hezekiah prays for more time. The sun moves backward. Hezekiah gets 15 years added to his life. Three years after God said you're about to die, and after God gives him extra time, Hezekiah has a son he named Manasseh. Had Hezekiah stuck to God's God timeline as far as his death, Israel would have been spared the worst king she ever knew. Um, I don't know what that means exactly. Greatest warrior? I would argue David. Just because I love the story of David. I could argue Abishai. David's Nephew, had some amazing stories. Um, it would be really hard to argue against Gideon as well. Gideon uh, defeated 135,000 Midianites. Most handsome man in the Bible. Martha? Absalom. Martha says Absalom. I'm going to agree with my wife. I'm going to agree with Absalom on that. The, the Bible says that um, none so praised as Absalom for his beauty. Joseph is mentioned as being a handsome man. Solomon is mentioned as being um, praised for his looks. However, it was Solomon that wrote that about himself, so you've got to kind of take that into account too. Most beautiful woman in the Bible. Hmm, this is a tough one. Most beautiful woman. Job tells us that the daughters of Job were the fairest in the land. So job had some beautiful daughters I would argue Rachel it had to be beautiful somebody worked 14 years to get her um, I would argue Sarah you might you might get even as an older woman Sarah apparently was so beautiful that Abraham was worried you know so he lied about her being a sister um, there was a time when Eve was the most beautiful woman on the face of the earth can't go wrong there she I would also argue that there was a time when Eve was the most unattractive woman on the face of the earth. But I would think the very first one probably looked pretty good. But still, my answer is Esther. She did win the beauty contest, Queen Esther. Mm-hmm. Um, tallest person in the Bible? It's a tough one. Actually, it's easy because we only we all would think of the same guy. But there were a lot of giants in the Old Testament, several References to giants in the Old Testament. And of course, who we always think of is Goliath. Who was said to be, um, how tall was he? Six cubits in a span. Nine and a half feet tall. So he was a big boy. And then finally, the shortest man in the Bible. Again, this is a tough one because there's not a whole lot of information given about people's uh, height in the Bible. You might say that Nehemiah was the shortest. Knee Maya. See what I did there? Knee yeah. Maya. <laughs> of course, if that was the case, then it would be um, Bildad the Shuhite, one of Job's friends. The Shuhite. Get it? Shuhite. You and Jim Ingram. Me and Jim Ingram. We get it. Yeah. Although it was Peter who slept on his watch. So he must have been pretty short. But really the one I thought of and the one that I did all this because of is who we're talking about tonight is Zacchaeus, because we all know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. We're in this uh, study that we've been going through on Wednesday nights talking about, that's what he said, some conversations, some teaching coming straight from Jesus. And we've looked at some parables and we've looked at some miracles and we've looked at some conversations. Last week we looked at a question that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do people say that I am? Tonight we're going to take a look at another conversation that Jesus has with this guy named Zacchaeus. And he has it, it's different from last week because Zacchaeus, at the beginning of the conversation, certainly isn't a believer. And Jesus doesn't ask him a question, but he does make a statement. He does make a pronouncement. Um, Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to be this evening so you can go and open up your bible to luke chapter 19. you know i i mentioned in my um little announcement that i sent out we have known this story since we've all been able to talk if you have gone to church anywhere as a child you learn the story about zacchaeus because you learn the song he was a wee little man and a wee little man was he He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed him by, he looked up in the tree and said, Zacchaeus, you come down, because I'm going to your house today, because I'm going to your house today. And in reality, that's pretty much the story. The song, the song that we learned when we were three years old, actually pretty well tells the story. So you wonder, what can we possibly, as a group of adults, learn? think about what can we glean from this story tonight. I'm going to challenge you to keep your mind open a little bit, because I think there's a reason that God wanted us in Luke chapter 19 tonight. And I think if you allow it, if you allow him, I think the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart. I think if you allow God's word to sort of um, uh, read it with some fresh eyes, uh, you might be surprised what we can learn from this guy that we've known for so long and so well. Let me go ahead and read the text. Uh, Luke chapter 19 is the first 10 verses. I'm gonna read it from the New Living Translation. It might sound a little bit different than the translation you have. Jesus entered Jericho, made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was one of the most influential Jews in the Roman tax collecting business, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowds. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road so he could watch from there. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by a name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down, for I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the crowds were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, I will give half my wealth to the poor, and if I have overcharged people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham, and I, the son of man, have come to seek and save those like him who were lost. That's the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Let me ask you before we kind of jump into it. Can you remember what you wanted to be when you were a little kid? When you were three, when you were four, when you were five? Do you remember what you kind of wanted to be? I remember when I was just a little kid, I wanted to be a scuba diver. And the reason I wanted to be a scuba diver was I grew up watching Lloyd Bridges on Sea Hunt every morning before school. And I thought, that is so cool. That's what I want to do. Then I found out that you really can't make a living doing what Mike Nelson, Lloyd Bridges, did on Sea Hunt. So then I decided, okay, I want to play football for the Pittsburgh Steelers when I grow up. But I had some issues there, too. Size, speed, athleticism. You know, there were some roadblocks there as well. But you ask a little kid what they want to be, and they'll tell you anything. Astronaut, cowboy, you know, teacher, policeman. I don't know of any little kid who's ever said, someday... I want to be a tax collector. One day, I hope to work for the IRS. That's my dream job. Now, I'm glad people work for the IRS. It's important. It's necessary work. But nobody loves tax people, do they? Even today, we don't want to get a call from the IRS. We don't want anybody representing the IRS knocking on our door, do we? Multiply that by about 10,000 as far as the first century went. It's hard for us really to understand the, the level of animosity that the Jews had towards tax collectors. It wasn't just a, a dislike. Uh, they hated these men. And we understand why they hated these men. You know, they were Jewish people, the tax collectors were, who were kind of sold out to Rome. Uh, Rome demanded that they collect so much in taxes and then Rome said, whatever you collect on top of that, you're welcome to keep. And so they cheated the people and they were disrupt, or dishonest and, and they were corrupt and all those things. Um, in the first century, if someone wanted to really kind of take a jab at somebody, they didn't call them a loser. They didn't call them a dirtbag. They called them a tax collector. It's about as as bad a thing as you could call someone. So, We know Zacchaeus is a tax collector, and he's not just any tax collector. He is really good at what he does. He's a really good tax collector. He is the chief tax collector in Jericho, which means he had other tax collectors working under him. Jericho was a very prosperous region. There was a a lot of wealth in Jericho, which meant that Zacchaeus would have been a very wealthy tax collector. And of course, he was undoubtedly, as I said, corrupt and dishonest. So Zacchaeus hears that this guy, Jesus, is going to come to town. And he's really intrigued by Jesus. He's really curious about Jesus. And I think I know why. I think I know why Zacchaeus, the tax collector, is so interested in seeing Jesus of Nazareth. Back up a couple chapters in in Luke. Go back to Luke chapter 5 for just a minute. A few chapters earlier, in Luke chapter 5, Jesus heals a paralytic, and then right on the heels of that miracle, he has a run-in with another tax collector. Luke 5, verse 27. Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collection booth. Come, be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Soon, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests were there. But the Pharisees and their, disciples, and their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Two remarkable things happened in Luke chapter 5. First, Jesus approaches a tax collector. Luke refers to him as Levi. We know him better as Matthew. Matthew, Matthew turns out to be a, uh, a pretty important person in the first century church. He went on to write a book. Anyone remember what book Matthew wrote? The very first book in the New Testament, the book of Matthew. So it's kind of amazing first that Jesus asked this tax collector to be his follower. And the second amazing thing that happens is Levi doesn't. Matthew takes Jesus up on it. He leaves everything to follow Jesus. And then really two more amazing things happen. Matthew says, I want to have a banquet. I want to throw kind of a party. And Jesus, I want you to come. And I want to invite all my friends, but about the only friends a tax collector has is other tax collectors, so he invites other tax collectors to this banquet, and amazingly, Jesus comes. Jesus comes and has a meal, which was more than just having a meal in the first century. If you ate with someone, that that made a statement. So Jesus comes and has a meal with Matthew and all these other tax collectors, And, of course, the Pharisees saw this and they they said, why are you eating? Why are you associating with these? The New Living Translation says scum. I mean, a tax collector was the same as a sinner. It was the same as scum. You know, same thing. Tax collector equals sinner equals scum. That's what they were. And yet, here's Jesus eating with them. Back to the story. Word of the Levi thing kind of circulates through the tax collector's uh, uh, community. Jesus hangs out with tax collectors. Jesus eats with people like us. Uh, Zacchaeus had never heard of any religious leader who would be willing to hang out with someone like him. Willing to eat with someone like him. So Zacchaeus decides, I need to get a look at this guy. Zacchaeus, at this point, is very curious about Jesus. Here's my movie reference for tonight, and I'm going back again to uh the movie, "Oh Brother, where art thou?" I can almost quote that whole movie in sound bites because it is such a quotable movie, but there's one scene in the movie that everybody quotes, but they miss the best part of the whole scene. It's when the the, the movie's about these three guys in the depression that break out of jail and uh they go to one of the guys's cousins pete's cousin to get their uh chains broken off and uh pete's cousin helps them out and they're having a meal that evening they're just sitting in this old shack and there's this little boy eating, and the three convicts are eating, and and cousin wash uh uh is eating there and, and pete says cousin wash where's cousin Corrine?" and uh Cousin Wash looks at the little boy and says, Mrs. Hogwallop done R-U-N-N-O-F-T, which is what everybody quotes, and it's clever, and it's funny, but it's not the best line in the scene. Right after he says, Mrs. Hogwallop done R-U-N-N-O-F-T, George Clooney's character is sitting there eating, and with a really serious look on his face, he says, She's probably looking for answers, which I think is one of the best lines in the whole movie. And my family will tell you anytime someone asks, why did that guy do that? Why did she do that? What was she thinking? My initial response is usually they were probably looking for answers. I think Zacchaeus, this tax collector, I think he's probably looking for answers. He might not have known it. He might not even known what questions he was thinking of, but I think he's looking for some answers here. He hears that Jesus just happens to be in Jericho. So he's interested. Luke chapter 19, back to chapter 19, verse 4. So he, Zacchaeus, he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree beside the road so he could watch from there. Zacchaeus runs ahead. Climbs a sycamore tree so we could watch from there. I told you in my announcement, let's meet the sycamore tree tonight at 7 o'clock and talk about some things. Because there are some pretty powerful things and pretty significant things that go on there at the sycamore tree between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Um, Let me make an application or two before we get into uh, anything else. Zacchaeus is here and he's interested in checking Jesus out. But he is not interested in Jesus checking him out. He is not interested in having any kind of an encounter with Jesus. At this point, I'm not sure I'd even say he's interested in Jesus. He's certainly not committed in any way. But at this point, I would say he's curious. He's curious about Jesus. Now, I think there's a lot of people that we know, they're sort of curious about Jesus. They want to check Jesus out, but they want to do it at a the distance. They don't want to get too close. They're not going to come to church. They don't want to get any kind of um, uh, theological discussion. If there was just some way they could satiate their curiosity a little bit, they've got some questions about Jesus, and they'd like to kind of check them out, but they don't want him checking them out. Um, you know, We kind of want to see them, but we kind of want to hide too. Verse 5. When Jesus came by, okay, get in your mind what's going on here. Jesus is in Jericho. There's a a big crowd around him. You know there's a crowd because that's why Zacchaeus couldn't see him. He was too short to see over the crowd. So Jesus has a crowd all around him. Zacchaeus runs ahead to a sycamore tree, which meant Jesus was traveling and the big crowd was traveling with him. So here's Jesus you know, I kind of get the idea sort of, again, like, the, uh, like a, a fighter entering the ring. You know, the fighter's in there somewhere, the boxer, and there's this entourage that's, that's kind of moving down the aisle. So here comes Jesus down the road, coming towards the sycamore tree where Zacchaeus is hiding. And of course, everyone had to be talking. I don't know if Jesus was teaching. I don't know if, if people were firing questions at him. But you know, it had to be kind of a uh, loud environment. Jesus comes to the sycamore tree where Zacchaeus is, and he stops. And Jesus looks up into the tree. What did everyone else do there in the in that knot of people when Jesus looked into the tree? Everyone else looked into the tree. It's human nature, right? So they all look into the tree, and the first thing out of Jesus' mouth is Zacchaeus how would you have felt if you'd been Zacchaeus? I don't want to get too close, but I'd kind of like to see this guy. So we get in the tree. Great idea. I'll run ahead. I'll jump in the tree. And he comes by and he stops and he calls me by name. I am sure when Jesus said Zacchaeus, a ripple went through the crowd as well. These are Jews that are following Jesus down the road. And Jesus has just called out Zacchaeus, that slimy little tax collector, that guy who has caused us so much heartache, that guy who has taken food from my kid's table, that guy who has cheated me at every turn. I work so hard for my money, and so much of it goes straight to this greasy little tax collector, and now Jesus has seen him. And Jesus is going to call him out. And Jesus is about to give this guy what he needs to get. This is gonna be great. Verse five, quick, come down. For I must be a guest at your home today. Yeah, Jesus, give it to him, yeah. Wait, what? What? No, no. Not come down, be a guest at your home, no. Jesus, we hate this guy. And if we hate this guy, you got to hate this guy too. He's the worst. Interesting. Jesus says, I must be a guest at your home today. It's as if Jesus is saying, I'm kind of compelled to do this. This isn't, I'm, I'm not inviting myself. I'm telling you, I'm coming. I'm I'm coming to your house today. I have to do this. To, to show you the radical Grace of my love, I have to do this. Nobody saw that coming. Certainly, Zacchaeus didn't see that coming. The crowd didn't see that coming. Now, Zacchaeus' his whole life's been built on greed and dishonesty. He's sinned against God. He's cheated the people. Another observation or two about this story, which, by the way, it's a true story. This isn't a, a, a children's tale. This isn't a parable. This isn't a nice little story with a moral ending. There really was a little guy named Zacchaeus who was curious about Jesus. He lived in the region of Jericho, and one day he really did climb up a sycamore tree and had a conversation with Jesus. Um, But here's here's a point that I want to share with you, and I don't really know how to make it without it sounding like a, a preacher point. And yet I think it's really a significant thought to to kind of mull over. And that is, when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, we got to come out of hiding. We just have to come out of hiding. It's so natural for us to say, okay, I'm I'm not going to get too close to Jesus because I know what's going to happen if I do. Um, But the reality is sin always causes us to hide. Sin always causes us to want to hide. You know, it's human nature. You think about little kids. When, when they get caught doing something, they will literally try to hide. Uh, I've spent the last couple of days with uh, with my young grandchildren. You know, I've got a three-year-old. He will literally try to hide when he thinks he's been caught doing something wrong. My son is living with us right now through this pandemic. He brought his dog with him. It's a, it's, a, it's a really nice silver lab, but he's a puppy. He's just kind of a big idiot. And of course, I have my dog, a very old black lab, the greatest dog ever. A couple of days ago, walked into the kitchen and Nate saw that somebody had um, pulled the trash out. Some dog did. So Nate says, who got in the trash? You know what his dog did? Oh, he'll, 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 nothing. He jumped bounded around happy as could be. His dog got in the trash. You know what my dog did? Who would never get in the trash? She slinks down and crawls behind the couch. I'm like, Marley, I know it wasn't you. Come on out here. No, she wanted to hide. Sin always causes us to want to hide. We, we want to hide. And of course, the thing about hiding is it always leads to isolation. It always causes us to to be alone. You see it in Zacchaeus. He's all alone. He doesn't have any family. He doesn't have any friends. You no, know, when we're hiding, it's it's almost impossible to really give and share authentic love. Because even if I can fool someone else, I can't fool myself. And I know me. And my conclusion is okay. If you knew the real me, you'd probably be surprised. You might even be shocked. I almost guarantee you'd be disappointed if you knew the real me. So I'm going to hide the real me. I'm not going to be transparent. And I'm not going to be open with my life because I'm pretty sure once you know me, you're not going to like what you see. Imagine this what if it had been you in the tree? Instead of Zacchaeus. You know. I want to see Jesus. But boy that's really intimidating. So I don't want to get too close to Jesus. Because. I know the real me. And I know that Jesus knows the real me. And I really know. They would probably be really disappointed. With the real me. So. We're sort of hoping that. Jesus. Doesn't see us. But we're sort of hoping we can sort of see Jesus. And That's a weird place to be. There, there, there's no way to have a real relationship like that. You know, if Jesus were to come along right now and it was you in the tree, what would he say? Here's what we need to talk about. Come down from the tree. We need to have a conversation about. And would you be willing to have that conversation? Would you be willing to acknowledge what Jesus would want to talk about? Coming out of the tree meant that Zacchaeus had to face the truth. You know, and, and we are so good at living with so much garbage in our life if we think we can just keep it hidden. Here's the truth. We know it. We're all sinners. I mean, if you're watching this on a Wednesday night, you know, you're gonna be able to agree with me. Yeah, we're all sinners. Unrepentant sinners are much more concerned with getting caught than they are getting help. Unrepentant sinners are much more concerned about getting caught than they are getting help. But I'll repeat, we're all sinners. Repentant sinners are much more concerned about getting help than they are getting caught. Only you can answer that question. Am I a repentant sinner? Because we're all sinners. Am I an unrepentant sinner? Am I more concerned about people finding out? Or am I more concerned about God stepping in? Am I more concerned about being found out or forgiven? Am I more concerned about being exposed or redeemed? Zacchaeus is in this tree. He's carrying around this huge burden. He's carrying around all this weight of his dishonesty and this, just all this garbage of how he's treated people all his life. And notice what Jesus didn't say to Zacchaeus. Jesus doesn't come up to Zacchaeus and say, Zacchaeus, I want you to straighten up your life. I want you to fix all this mess you've made in your life. I want you to, to repay people. I want you to maybe quit your job. I want you to turn your life around, and then maybe I'll come to your house. Then maybe we can talk about a relationship. I can't come now. I'm not able to come now. It wouldn't be right for me to come now. But if you fix your life first, then maybe we'll think about a relationship. Jesus doesn't say any of that to Zacchaeus, does he? Let me remind you of Romans chapter 5, verse 8. You can quote it as well as I can. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is probably the best news of the good news. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You want to share good news with people? Share those nine words with them. We're all sinners. While we were sinners, in the midst of our garbage, in the midst of all our dishonesty and all our sin, Christ died for us. Jesus tells zacchaeus no i'm I'm coming to your house today now before you clean up anything right now, we all know what Jesus said. Your kids and your grandkids can tell you what Jesus did because they know the song. Let me tell you why he said it and why he did it. He interacted with Zacchaeus the way he did because Jesus will always lead with grace. And I'll challenge you to test me on that. Prove me wrong. Jesus will always lead with grace. Luke goes on to tell us, let me recap again, verse 7, But the crowds were displeased. He's gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, I'll give half my wealth to the poor, Lord, and if I've overcharged people on their taxes, I'll give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a son of Abraham, and I. The son of man have come to seek and to save those like him who were lost. Something really amazing happens here. This interaction with this little short tax collector. He comes to the realization that the way he's lived his life, the way he's treated people, his habits, his lifestyle, he's come to the realization that is dishonoring Jesus. what I'm doing dishonors Jesus. And and somehow, and we're not sure the timeline here, we're not sure how much time goes by, but somehow it seems to happen pretty quickly. Zacchaeus comes to the conclusion that that's intolerable to him. I I, I can't live my life dishonoring Jesus with my words and with my deeds. So he says, let me fix it the best way I know. Let me fix it the the only way I know. You know, it's through money. I'll I'll, I'll give half of what I own to the poor. I'll, I'll pay back people four times as much. But I can't allow my lifestyle to dishonor Jesus. The old Zacchaeus, I mean, it was all about money and stuff. And he didn't care about relationships. He didn't care who he stepped on to get ahead. This new Zacchaeus, he understands Jesus is inviting me into relationship. And I can't stand to dishonor that relationship by the way I'm living my life. So he goes from being greedy to being over-the-top generous. And I think that's a sign of repentance. I think it's a true sign of repentance. When you're willing to do whatever it takes to make things right with God, and when you're willing to do whatever it takes to make things right with people that you've offended, that's repentance. Um, you know, too many people, I think, live our lives, we live our lives in damage control. I don't want to do anything wrong. I don't want to cause any harm. Uh, I don't want to offend anyone. I, I don't want to So I'm not going to do anything. You know, when you're living your life to bring honor to Jesus, it's not just about not doing things wrong. How can I make things right? How can I make things better? You know, Zacchaeus didn't say, okay, I'm going to quit doing that from now on. He said, no, I want to make things better. How can I live my life now that, that honors Jesus? Not because I'm such a great guy, but because I serve a great Lord. And that's how Zacchaeus refers to Jesus. He calls him Lord. He's become consumed with, with doing what's right. You know, a lot of people want to get just close enough to Jesus to kind of satisfy their curiosity. Just close enough to Jesus to kind of get a feel for what he's about. But I don't want him to get close to me. And so we hide in trees. Or we we live our lives in a way that we think, oh, nobody's ever going to see this part of me. But Jesus doesn't let us get away with that. Jesus has a way of stopping in front of sycamore trees. And calling us out calling us into a decision. And inviting himself into our homes, our homes, our lives. Demanding a choice be made. Now Zacchaeus could have made a choice, I guess. And he did. He made the right choice. Jesus, I think, is still in the habit of stopping in front of sycamore trees. And seeing things that uh, we hope he doesn't see. But it's not to call us out and say... Tim, you terrible sinner, fix it or you're going to hell. Instead, Tim, I'm coming to your house today. Let's talk about this. Let me offer you something so much better than all these things you're trying to hide. That's my thought for tonight. Uh, thanks for sticking with me this long. I want to wrap up with prayer. Um, I hope if you got some comments, I hope you've been writing them um in the comments section um uh, as we're uh, as we've been going along um I love reading what y'all post because usually I wish I would have thought of it first but uh uh let's wrap up with prayer father i'm I'm thankful that um even when we're hiding uh, Jesus is looking and father, you know our hearts and you know our lives and you love us anyway. And while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And, uh, Father, that changes things. Uh, help us to, to allow it to change us. Father, thank you for the chance to get together and open up your word tonight and just talk about spiritual things. And I pray, Father, in a, a very special way, you would be with our Bay Area family in very uncertain times that you would bless them. Uh, Father, we're, we're prayerful for Beulah's brother Jonah uh, on the other side of the world but uh, he's a brother, and uh, he needs your intervention health-wise. Uh, we we'll ask you to continue to pray for for Gary and for Glenn and for Duke and Jeannie and and Pat and uh, just so many others that need uh, that need our prayers because they need you to step in in their situation. So thank you for hearing those prayers. Father, I pray that you, in a very special way that you'd be with our leadership at Bay Area as decisions are being made on best how to how to do kingdom work in this strange time. And as we start to think about what what is going to look like here in the next month or two or three. And uh, pray for wisdom and discernment as we think about getting back together and doing it responsibly and safely. And so I pray for a lot of wisdom for them and and may we make their jobs a joy and uh Maybe be in the habit of giving each other an awful lot of grace. Thank you for allowing us to talk about an old, old story that is so, so powerful. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.